0: I noticed uh, this is episode number 12 of Minor League Baseball it's the show before the show podcast. And I noticed that, you know, like going back and listening to past episodes every week, I say something along the lines of like, man, a lot of big names promoted this week. A lot of big guys moving up this week. And at first I thought like, is that just a crutch I'm falling on? And then I realized, I thought no, that's going to be about Bubba Starling again. <laughs> Here's what what happened when Bubba Starling was recruited out of high school. No, I, but like, but no, every week, every week now we have giant names moving about. It's not just like something that I'm falling back on because it's something for me to say. This is like, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop
2: an onslaught. They're all just running away from us. They don't want to have to talk to these MILB.com. Oh, um, anyway. I know,
0: because have you noticed that the only one of MLB.com's top four prospects remaining in the minor leagues is the one who has done an interview with us, and that's Lucas Giolito. That Buxton's was, in the was, big leagues. The league's, the league's league Carlos in the, the big... <laughs> Sorry, Lucas. We ruined everything for you. So with that, a big welcome into episode number 12 of MILB.com's the show before the show podcast. I'm Tyler Mon. Out of New York City is Jake Siner. And, uh, man, it really is. It's the year of the prospects. It's the year of the rookie, whatever you want to call it, and it has not slowed down. If anything, it's speeding up because we saw uh, Byron Buxton get promoted this past weekend. Francisco Lindor went up to the Cleveland Indians this past weekend. Uh, Yesterday, two more big promotions with Kyle Schwarber of the Chicago Cubs, who's going up for a brief kind of cameo at the Major League level. Domingo Santana, the Houston Astros, is back up. He made his debut last year. He's back up now uh, as the Astros have placed Colby Rasmus on the bereavement list, but it's it doesn't stop. It has not stopped. It's not a crutch that I've been falling on. It's really all of these guys all the time are making debuts. This has been an insane season so far.
2: Yeah, just off the top of my head, the list I have now of guys who have been promoted this year is Correa, Chris Bryant, Byron Buxton, who's also this weekend, uh, Jock Peterson got a little time last year, so I guess he doesn't count. Cal Schwarber, Addison Russell, Noah Syndergaard, Carlos Rodon, Francisco Lindor, Joey Gallo, Michael Franco got a little time last year, uh, Devin Travis, uh, who else we got? They got Blake Swihart, Wilmer Defoe, Archie Bradley. It's it's been it's, This is not usually how this goes. No, it isn't,
0: especially by this point in the season. I mean, we're only at June 16th. I know out in this area of the country, people are anxiously awaiting John Gray. Presumably that's going to happen soon. He's the Rockies' top prospect. But it has been like day after day after day somebody moves up somebody heads to the big leagues and now there are guys who are uh, at the triple-a level who are going to be doing it soon and uh, we'll talk about one of them right now we're going to talk about a lot of these prospects later on in the show today but we're going to dive into episode number 12 of the show before the show with this week's edition of three strikes and we'll get right into it with Aaron Nola right-handed pitcher for the Philadelphia Phillies organization who has made the jump to Lehigh Valley after a very good start with double-a reading seven and three a 1.88 ERA in 12 starts and in in very fitting fashion yesterday the lehigh valley iron pigs tweeted at him a picture of the bacon hat and said at 2:50 p.m quote at aaronola 10 what hat size are you
2: <laughs> yeah as, as we learned from ben hill a couple weeks ago you must like bacon if you're going to survive in the lehigh valley <laughs> um yeah and Aranola will uh, he'll be earning his bacon i think he's going to be uh carrying his weight there in, in the iron pigs uh yeah he was drafted seventh overall in the first round last year in 2014 by the phillies out of lsu he was supposed to be a pretty advanced pitcher, maybe lack a little ceiling, but had a, a pretty good fastball, a really good changeup, the breaking ball was there, and the command was supposed to be really good, and that's pretty much exactly what we saw with the uh, with Redding. Uh, 76 innings, 12 starts, he had a 1.88 ERA, uh, he was especially good in May, the ERA dropped down to was a 1.35 in six May starts, uh, struck out a fair amount of guys, 59 guys in 76 and two-thirds innings. but. Also, just allow nine walks and do some ground balls. Got a lot of weak contact. Pretty much as, as dominant as a guy with, with his stuff is going to be at that level. And can't imagine that A is going to go too differently. I'm interested to see. Uh, yeah, I know the, the uh, Super 2 deadline is obviously not a consideration anymore, and by the way. Hat tip to Sam Dykstra for running off some of the guys to make it promoted, but apparently wasn't aggressive enough in uh, thinking who. Wait till that Super Two deadline passed.
0: We thought it was like, oh man, look at this rush of guys, and that was not even like half of what we've seen. Sam did a great job, and it's still we've seen more than that.
2: Like it makes Sam had like three top ten prospects. He was like, yeah, these guys could get promoted. I was like, all right, (laughs) take
0: it easy, Sam. (laughs)
2: It's
0: calm. It's pump the brakes a little bit, Sam.
2: (laughs) Uh yeah, Nola could I think be one of those guys who, who joins uh them in the majors by uh by the end of the year. Uh certainly is pitching like that. The the control and the command has been as advertised, if anything, a little bit better The stuff we're hearing is, is really good and uh you know, certainly I think the Eastern League hitters are pretty happy to have him up in and in, in the international league.
0: You know, one of the things uh, I mean that we talked about a little bit last week with the draft is that when you draft a, a high-ceiling college arm, they have the ability to move so quickly. And he comes out of a big-time SEC school, a very successful program at LSU. And this isn't unexpected at all for Aaron Nola for, to see him ascending this quickly. But I think, Jake, you kind of hit the nail on the head there a minute ago. His numbers are so good in A, you're not really challenging him anymore by leaving him in A. So I like that the Phillies are taking this step to move him up. 7-3, a 1.88 ERA, those numbers are good enough in themselves but he's got a whip of 0.89 opponents are only batting 219 against him his command has been fantastic 59 strikeouts against nine walks and 76 and two-thirds nothing left for Aaron Nola to prove at the AA level give him that challenge at the international league and see if he's in Philadelphia here within pretty short order
2: yeah it's interesting you mentioned last year. I've been thinking more about the, the conversation was that two weeks ago we talked about uh uh Kolek with Miami Yeah, comparing him to, to Carlos Rodon or or Nola and, and at this point it just if you had to pick, you know, either Nola or I think Rodon's the first guy you'd pick, but picking between, between Nola and Kolek, you know, Kolek has the, the higher ceiling. He's a high school kid who hits 100 miles an hour, but I just don't know how you can argue you'd rather have that than a guy who maybe doesn't throw as hard but is already in A and succeeding and going to be helping the major league team by, by the end of the year.
0: Strike two, Jake, fire away. We're going to switch uh, gears from a, a really good pitching arm to a really good power bat.
2: Yeah, a, a really good power bat that is hitting especially well lately in uh, Class A Lake County, Bobby Bradley. So first baseman. He was the Indians' third-round pick last year and already looking like uh, maybe one of the steals of that draft class, uh, certainly from a power standpoint, been one of the more impressive guys there. Uh, he played in the rookie-level Arizona League last year and won the Arizona Rookie League Triple Crown. Uh, this year, he has struck out a little bit more. He got a, a very aggressive promotion to the Midwest League for a high school guy. Um, so his batting average is taking a little hit, but that little hit has him down to hitting 279. The real story with Bradley is the power. He's got 11 home runs in just 38 games. He missed a little bit of time with injury, had with an oblique strain, and he's come back from that. He's got four home runs in his last five games, five in his last eight. He's on pace for 32 home runs, which is sounds impressive. That's 32 runs for anybody. But for a teenager in the Midwest League, this yes. is a league where guys hit a lot of home runs. Last year, the league leader for the whole league hit 22 home runs. And last year was a little bit of an anomaly because it was a colder year. Um, the weather hasn't been that much different this year, been a, a little bit warmer, a little better. But the since 2010, there are only three guys who have even hit 20 home runs as teenagers in the Midwest League, and that's Matt Olson, Miguel Sano, and Nick Franklin. So you got Nick Franklin, one major leaguer, Miguel Sano, maybe the best power prospect left in the minors, and Matt Olson, who's probably right behind Sano for that, that title. Um, Bradley, as a 19-year-old, is kind of forcing his way into this conversation. Uh, I talked to Larry Day, the hitting coach at Lake County, for a story over the weekend, and it sounds like it's not just a a tools thing with Bradley either. He is one of the most hard-working guys on that team. The makeup seems to be off the roof. He's showing up to the cages at 2 o'clock. He's getting three hitting sessions in before every game. Um, It's not an accident. This power's coming. He's hitting home runs the other way. He's pulling home runs. The strikeout's got to come down a little bit at some point, but for a 19-year-old in Midwest League, you're not too concerned about that. Yeah, it's a shame. He's probably a first baseman only. He's got seven triples already, which is he's, he was listed by MLB.com as a 20-runner, which seems just a crazy thing for him to have as many triples as he has. Yeah. So I, I asked Larry about that, and he very politely said, yeah, no, he's he's not a burner. Um, not, not, <laughs> don't, don't read too much into the triples. So I think he's probably a guy who's who's going to remain at first base. So there is a lot of pressure on that bat. But it sounds like the power is something we haven't really seen, uh, or when we have seen it in the Midwest League like this, it's been from guys who... Went on to really become guys you got to know. Um, so Bradley seems like he's he's pushing his way into that that caliber of player and prospect.
0: Well, and it's a good time to pause for a segue. We're going to have Razor Shines on the show today, the double manager of the Tulsa Drillers and the Los Angeles Dodgers organization, and ask him about the maturity of another teenager, a guy, Julio Urias, who we have heard so much about his maturity and his mentality. And I talked to Bobby Bradley earlier in the year, and that's kind of what he reminds me of. Uh, it was right after he came back from his injury that forced him out of action for about a month. It was an oblique strain. And it, this was back uh, on May 12th. And he said that basically what he was able to do when he was was shut down was just sit and observe and learn. He said, quote, it shows you a whole other side of it. While you're not playing, you get to take all your mental at bats. You take way more at bats mentally than you would physically in a year, which is a really good thing. I mean, for a kid who's 19 years old to be talking that way out of high school with the ability, not just the maturity, but the patience to just sit through it, bat after a bat of his teammates and think, what would I do in this situation? What's he going to come with in this situation? That's extremely impressive. and, you don't see that a lot out of anybody. It's not just the fact that he's a high school kid and he's young. But a lot of guys get so frustrated and so bogged down in those circumstances when you're sitting out, especially with a frustrating injury like an oblique strain, something that can be nagging, something that can affect you for a while. For for Bobby Bradley to say, no, that's I embrace that. I sat there. I talked with my hitting coach. He talked with Steve Carsey during games. He would say he would see things about what he could do uh, and, and the way that he could approach things when he came back from the injury. That was extraordinarily impressive to me. He was the AZL MVP last year, and it looks like the Indians have really hit on a guy who could climb quicker than I think maybe some people saw for him coming out of the draft last year. But right now, I mean, like you said, his, his average is taking a bit of a dive. He's a 279 hitter, but he's OBSing 969. He's slugging 588. There's a lot to like about Bobby
3: Bradley.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that, that'll segue into then talking about another first baseman, too, with strike three. Um, another guy who the pressure is on the bat but has a little more of a, a pedigree and a background than, than Bradley, and that's Dominic Smith with the Mets. Um, Smith was a first-round pick back in 2013 uh, and kind of disappointed, I think, a lot of Mets fans last year. He was assigned to full-season Savannah, and we talk about Bradley hitting so many home runs right off the bat. Uh, he hit Br- Smith hit one home run in 126 games with Savannah. Savannah's got a, a park that's tough on left-handed hitters, so you, you cut him a little bit of a break for that, but at the same time, one home run from a guy who's, who's got to be a power-hitting first baseman and he's not going to play other positions it was a little disconcerting. Um, this year he's come out. He did hit 26 doubles in, in 2014, so that was sort of the, the silver lining there. Um, he's come out this year. He kind of started out in the Florida State League looking like the same guy for a lot of April, and starting in May, he's just been outrageously good. The power we're still waiting for. He's only got two home runs which he's got two home runs in his last, I don't know, 20 games or something like that. In his first 162 full-season games, he only had one. So there's more power there. But he's up to 21 doubles for the season. Um, and I talked to uh, Luis, Ro- or, uh, yeah, Luis Rojas, the manager at St. Lucie, for a story a couple of weeks ago and um, kind of shared some interesting things. He thought the big problem with Smith, and I thought this was really interesting and something we've seen with some other prospects in the past, too, is it wasn't that he doesn't have power and strength. When In BP, he'd hit balls a long way. You'd see him you know, going the other way, focusing on that. He'd get balls out to the opposite field, hit balls out to the side. The power is there. And it's not that he was swinging and missing a lot. The problem was that his hit tool was good enough, where he was chasing pitches off the plate, and he was still connecting. But when he'd connect with those pitches, he was rolling over on ground balls. He was hitting pop-ups, or he was hitting you know, weak rollers to the opposite field. He was not making the kind of authoritative contact you look for in a first baseman. Um, So what Rojas said is he really saw an adjustment with Smith in late April, early May, where he started being more selective with what pitches he was going to swing at, started swinging at more pitches in the zone, and that allowed him to use a more authoritative swing and to really connect more, and he thinks that's what's leading to the doubles. We talked to him like two weeks ago, so it was early on in this hot streak that he's on now, and sort of been watching and monitoring and seeing, and it seems like more and more Rojas's theory that if if Smith can just shrink down the strike zone, that he's gonna be able to tap into more power, more strength, up the batting average. I mean in May he hit two seventy six with uh, how many of those doubles did he have? He had thirteen of those doubles, OPS take up the nine fifty, he's got a nine eighteen OPS so far in June, he's hitting three sixty two. He's got seven more doubles, he's got another one of those home runs. Seems like a guy who He's still a long way to go to maybe justify the profile and justify the first round pick as a guy who's going to be a bat first first baseman. The home runs are going to have to come eventually, and the Florida State League is not an easy place to do that, but it seems like he's trending finally in the right direction and at least showing a little bit to justify the Mets uh, taking him so early in that 2013 draft.
0: You know, one thing that's really interesting about guys like Dominic Smith, too, when you play at the lower levels, if you have an advanced bat and an advanced approach at the lower levels, that can actually harm you in certain ways because you talk about you want a guy like that to shrink the zone down. Sometimes pitching at the lower levels does not allow you to do that because you don't see as much around the zone. You don't see guys working in a tighter strike zone. Better hitters sometimes improve as they climb the ladder because they're able to work with higher quality pitching. They're able to work with stuff that's more around the zone. Sometimes it's a guy who will expand his zone on his own. He'll chase stuff that he shouldn't be chasing, all that kind of stuff. Other times it's just kind of dictated that way because he doesn't see a lot of quality stuff in terms of what he'll see at the advanced levels at High A, at Double A, and at Triple A. So a guy like Dominic Smith could be benefited by climbing the ladder just in terms of how he's going to see pitchers attack him. And something that. Seems almost counterintuitive that hitters can get better as they climb the ladder because the pitching gets better. But that does happen sometimes with elite bats. And, I mean, he's got a 55-graded bat. uh, His hit tool, according to MLB.com, the power tool is graded out at a 50, which is uh, just a little bit lower than what we see from Bobby Bradley, who's a 55 on that power scale. So that's something to keep an eye on, is as Dominic Smith climbs, maybe that's what's going to be better for him is he'll see some higher-quality approaches against him.
2: Yeah, and I don't want to speak for the MLB.com guys because I don't, I don't necessarily know they're thinking, but I imagine their thinking is that's projecting 50 in-game power, but I don't right. think it's a fair representation of Smith's raw power. I think he has more strength than that. Um, I don't know that he's, he's certainly not Joey Gallo. He's not a guy who's, who's got a chance to hit 30 or 40 home runs, but I think he's a guy, and this is interesting. I'm writing about Michael Conforto this week, and this ties in. It seems like the Mets are really identifying guys. Who are very very proficient at using the whole field and that's the thing they're prioritizing especially with those first round picks Brandon Nemo is the same way uses the opposite field almost to a fault you know he almost doesn't have a swing where he pulls the ball and hits it hard or uh, certainly doesn't show it as often it's a real focus on using the the opposite field with the gap and um, Smith I think really fits that and gets a tougher profile to make work at first base I think if he's a center fielder or a third baseman or something that you can be more encouraged that he's going to make those numbers work. There aren't a lot of first basemen who can be, I mean, you basically got to be, you know, Freddie Freeman I think is like a 20 home run hitter who can play first base, but it's because he hits three thirty and gets on base and, and just smokes like 50 doubles a year. Um, so that's, that's, that's the kind of profiling Smith is, is if it's going to work out for him, it's going to be those sort of Freddie Freeman kind of numbers. I think he's a different sort of hitter and different sort of approach, but, um, I think that's kind of what he's, he's trying to grow into and so, showing signs at least now of, of possibly tapping into some of that and, and getting to that point
0: three strikes for episode number 12 of minor league baseball is the show before the show podcast as always you can rate review and subscribe on itunes and flick us a question if you got one podcast at milb.com we'll do our best to get those answered uh, as well going forward but for now we're going to step out of the florida state league talking about dominic smith and we're going to head over to the texas league double a manager in the los angeles dodgers organization razor shines will join us from the tulsa drillers to talk about the glut of talent that has moved to his team and his organization this season we'll talk to razor shines right now.
2: our guest this week is the manager at AA Tulsa in the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers organization We're joined now by Razor Shines Razor how's everything going
3: everything is going well just honored to be here and glad to be on your show
2: yeah we appreciate you uh, taking the time we wanted to ask you about the, you've had a handful of, of pretty interesting and notable Dodgers prospects come through Tulsa this year I want to start with one of the most recent ones you actually just got, got promoted was Hector Oliveira, who's a Cuban infielder, um, had not played for about a year or so and came and played a handful of games with you guys. Just wanted to ask for your thoughts on, on what you saw from him and his time with you guys. It seemed like by the time he left, the bat certainly had, had warmed up and seemed like he had shaken some of that rest. curious what you saw uh, both at the plate just and in the field, too, with with him.
3: Well, the, fir- the first thing you saw when, when, when you first took a look at him was his presence—he's a big, strong guy, and and you say, "Wow, this 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 is a guy. This is a guy that might be a piece. You know what I mean? Uh, a, a guy that can be that can make a difference. And then and then you watch him and and watch him move around and take batting practice and do all the things, and and they look good. And then he starts to play, and you'll and you understand that you know this guy hadn't played as you said in a year or so. Um, or longer and and the game was a little fast for him a little fast for him but then he starts to catch up and he starts to catch up quickly Um, the back came along a lot faster than than the other things so I I think you're going to see a special player when it's all said and done when he adjusts to the speed of the game and, and get back into playing shape Razor, he
0: obviously had a lot more to adjust to than just the average prospect, too. I mean, with the fact that, you know, he defects, he comes over. Uh, those guys who come from Cuba have so much more in front of them uh, because, of, you know, the difficulties of speaking the language and the fact that he had to leave home and all that kind of stuff. But did that stuff impress you as much as the way that, I mean, a guy's not going to go out and hit 316 if he, or 318 in six games if he's that bogged down by everything that he's going through mentally as well. Did his adjustment uh, impress you as much as what he was able to do on the field?
3: The thing that impressed me the most about this kid was his work ethic. I mean, this this kid listened. I mean, obviously he had an interpreter there, but he listened. Uh, He wanted to learn, um, wanted to understand how we did things here, and he wanted to get better. I mean, he's a talented player, a very talented player. And and I think the National League is going to find that out.
2: Yeah, Razor, we started by asking you about a 30-year-old, and now we'll step back and ask you about a teenager that you have had there, uh, Julio Urias, who obviously has been out for, for about a month now with the, the eye surgery. It was an elective thing. I um, just want to ask kind of what you saw. I mean, it's, it's obviously very impressive for a kid that young to to be that impressive that quickly in Double A, and that's something we're kind of getting used to seeing from him. But what is it about him, uh, both just from a, a stuff and physicality standpoint, but also just his makeup and, and his personality, I think, is letting him – uh, have so much success uh, so quickly at the double a level
3: well, well we'll start with his stuff <laughs> and it's as good as it gets man i am telling you i am telling you that his stuff is electric i mean they're they're guys you know you 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 talk to opposing managers just to to get a feel about what some of their players are saying and their players are saying man this guy should be pitching at a lot higher level than this and they're talking about a 19 year old kid 18 19 year old kid and uh it's it's good to know it's, it's it's good to see and then when you talk to huli i mean he's one of the favorite guys in the clubhouse everybody loves him he jokes around plays around i mean but when it's time for work there's not many people that work harder than this guy
2: do you have an idea of where his timeline is now for coming back how quickly you're expecting to get him back in the rotation
3: I do not know. Um, what I do know is that uh, the, the the surgery was good. Everything went well, and um, he's eventually, or rather sooner than later, is going to get going. And hopefully, before the year's out, pitch in L.A. I mean, that's that's, that's got to be the plan. This guy's talented. This guy is very very talented. So hopefully, we'll get him back, get him ready, and that's going to take some time, but. We'll we'll take all the time that's needed with this kid.
0: Razor one of the things that people talk about with him is how mature he is for being you know last year and this year 16 17 18 years old uh he gave one of the best quotes that I've read from any athlete in any sport this year in which uh he was asked during spring training about his eye uh before going through surgery and all that stuff and he said that's just the way things work God gave me a bad left eye but a good left arm and wow. if that's not something that a 17 year old thinks of saying I mean it seems like he is that he is everything is advertised does he have you been around a kid who is that young, but has the mentality that he has, and has not just on the field with obviously how he attacks guys and the way that he is professional and mature as a pitcher, but off the field. Have you been around somebody that young who acts the way he does?
3: Yes. Corey Seeger. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's what we call a perfect segue. <laughs> Well, then let's dive into that, too, because those two guys were teammates for a little while to start the year, and Corey's now up at the AAA level, and he's another one. I mean, when we talk to Corey after, you know, he'll go out and go six for six, and we'll do a story on him, and again, very polished, very professional. He's a guy a few words to us, but he, he says what he wants to say. He's got the two brothers who have had professional success as well, one of them's in the major leagues. Tell us about what it's been like being around Corey, because he has so much talent, and is one of those guys where the whispers are starting to grow a little bit louder about when he's going to be in Los Angeles. Angeles but learn from you know an older brother who's already in the big leagues uh and and has a lot of stuff going forward and he's only 21 what was it like having him there for the
3: start of the year my goodness it was you know it's 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 it's, you know you don't want to say that you're at the double a level and you got a 20 year old kid at the time that's relaxing your whole club he is the guy that everybody looked to in every situation i mean it didn't matter didn't matter whether it was offensively or defensively you're sitting in there you're in the dugout and 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 the pitching coach goes man i hope he hits it to corey
2: yeah i think there's there's a pretty strong narrative that corey is uh sort of fighting being on the the borders of being good enough to play shortstop defensively in the major leagues i think that's a thing that a lot of people say certainly outside of the organization i'm curious just for your take on Where he is defensively, it sounds like he's a guy that you have at least a lot of faith in if if the ball gets there and he gets to it. Uh, Just curious how how you think he's handling that, if you think he's a guy who can play there for a few years and then might have to move, or you think he's a guy that uh, maybe we're all missing something in evaluating his defense.
3: Well, you know what? I I, I don't think he's going to have to move, and that's just my opinion. I don't think he's going to have to move. I think the speed of the game um, eventually tells you when you, when, when and if you have to move. And, and Corey is a guy that, um is, is, still, is still doing things correctly. He's, he's doing it well. And as you move up level to level, the speed of the game gets faster and faster. And he hadn't had a problem yet. So I, I, I think he's gonna be just fine at shortstop. I really do. I mean, obviously he's a big kid. And so was Cal Rifkin. I mean, the, the, he is a guy that I think can play shortstop on the major league level. And I tell you what, if not, he can play anywhere else. He can play third, he can play first, he can can do anything he wants to do. He's that talented.
2: Yeah, and Reza, we'll move on and ask you about uh, one pitcher who you just had for a couple weeks now, and Jose de Leon, who put up numbers in the California League that we're not really used to seeing. He had 88 strikeouts in in 16 two-thirds innings so far this year. Uh, Been a little roughed up in, in his last couple outings with you guys, but... Certainly the reviews on the stuff and things we've heard have been really impressive about Jose. I uh, just want to ask for, for what you've seen from him stuff-wise and also about the deception is something we know that uh, he hides the ball pretty well. I'm curious if that's something you've noticed and, and picked up on with him so far.
3: Well, you know, this, this kid is electric as well. I mean, you you, you, you got a kid who um, I saw, the, the Joey Gallo kid that's up in uh, Texas right now that's, that's doing a pretty good job up there. I saw this kid just really have his way with him. And I mean, no fear. I mean, he gave up a leadoff home run in the, well, to the third place hitter in the, in the first inning. And, five, and six innings later, he's still in the game. That's the only run they've gotten. And he's got 11 strikeouts. I mean, this guy is, is pretty good. You know, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. And I don't know, you know, the timetable they may have with him. But he is really good. He's a a kid that has good composure as well. I mean, lately, um, you know, he got got scuffled up a little bit, um, left a couple of balls up. And when you leave a couple of balls up uh, on on this level, they do get hit. And uh, he'll learn from it. He's our starter tonight. and, 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 And I'm excited to see him pitch every time he goes out.
0: Razor, last thing for you here Uh, We hear so much, I mean, everybody hears so much About the Dodgers in the major league level The payroll, the glamour of that roster All that kind of stuff, and I don't think people realize Just how much talent there is in the minor league system As well, and we haven't Seen that a lot, I guess, through the last, you know, 10-15 Years of these massive payrolls in baseball Generally the teams that have these giant Rosters, uh, money-wise, don't have a lot in the minor leagues. But the Dodgers are definitely an exception to that. What's the energy like in the organization right now where you know Corey Seager's on the way and he's one step away? Julio Urias is going to be there maybe before the end of the year, as you said. Some of these guys who are so talented and so young are going to break through and make impacts. Jock Peterson's already there doing that. What's the, the organization like in terms of the, the excitement level that surrounds all of this talent going to join all of that talent that's already there at the
3: major league level? I can tell you this: it's good to be a Dodger. <laughs> I, I can tell you that. I mean, the energy level is off the charts, and that, and, and and I saw it in spring training. It, it went the major league the major league clubhouse was tremendous, uh, and then you got all these young kids who are excited and and can't wait to to show the um, the the front office their skill set that knowing that the front office already knows their skill set, that they they can't wait to prove that they're ready to play on the major league level. Man, it's good. And what an organization, first class. I'm just saying that because <laughs> I've been in a couple. This is really, really a good place to be.
2: <laughs> Razor Shines is the manager at AA Tulsa and very proud to be a Dodger. Razor, we appreciate you taking the time and chatting with us today. Thanks a lot. It's been thanks, great. Razor.
3: Fellas, thanks for having me on.
0: Huge thanks to Razor Shines for joining us from the Tulsa Drillers. It's a good time to be a Dodger, as Razor Shines said. Um, the one thing that I wanted to ask him that I did not get a chance to ask him, when we do Miner's Moniker Madness every summer, we used to do it in bracket form, and one of the bracket names was the Razor Shines bracket. I wonder if he ever knew that. I, I don't know. It's I, a so high I honor.
2: I forgot we did the brackets, <laughs> and that was, that was was. I wish we had those to still name this. I'm trying to think of managers we might name them after now.
0: Razor I, shines. The, yeah, I know. I feel like there's a handful of managers that just could carry the day on their own.
2: Yeah. Uh, Name brackets. Nothing's coming to me. But I'll, I'll tell you, <laughs> midway through this segment, I'm going to come up with something. I'm just going to shout it out.
0: Just yell it out. Why not? Uh, episode number 12 of MILB.com M- M- is the show before the show podcast. We're going to go back to sort of what we were talking about in the first segment, but didn't get to expound on there. We're going to talk about it now. This year of the prospect that we are now currently in has seen so much talent graduate from the minor leagues to the major leagues. And Jake and I thought it would be fun. Well, Jake, I'm going to give Jake all the credit because it's a fantastic idea. I don't deserve the credit for it because Jake thought of it. But we're going to take. this up
2: for when it's a terrible <laughs> <laughs> to Blame on me.
0: We're going to take our top ten players. We're going to pick five each, and we're going to draft them based on how we think their careers will be as major leaguers going forward. What we would want to build a team around our favorite five guys each. And we're going to start that off. I'm going to take the first pick. Jake's going to take the second. Just to be clear, this is this
2: is rookies. This is guys that have been right. promoted this year. We're talking about right,
0: exactly. Guys who've been promoted this year uh, who got a token taste last year. You know, the the very recent talents who have graduated to Major League Baseball this season. We're going to start that conversation. Uh, we we did one of those bat tosses. You know, where you put one hand on top of the other to determine who takes the the first pick actually that didn't happen at all and I don't even know if my description of that made sense you know what I'm talking about like when I I
2: told you to go first and you said okay
0: (laughs) that's basically how it actually happened all right let's get right into it Carlos Correa would be my top overall pick if I'm drafting guys who came up this year based on the projection of what their major league career is going to be based on the position that he plays the success that he's had at the minor league level I'm taking Carlos Correa hands down plays shortstop plays a fantastic shortstop just today uh, we're recording on Tuesday he made to play against the Colorado Rockies in the shift he shifted to the first base side of second base went to his right dove snared a ball threw out a runner hits unbelievably as Jake has noted several times added a decent amount of muscle this year and it's maybe improved his range and his speed it's improved him on the base paths rather than what you would fear for a guy at that position it hampering him Carlos Correa is the total package a uh, great personality great maturity very professional I take Carlos Correa number one overall
2: Yeah, I think I probably would too if I had the first pick. But since I gave it away, I think it's close to you decreed. I think it's close to a coin flip though with the the guy I'm going to take, who's Chris Bryant, the third baseman with the Cubs. Um, You know, you you only question even close to a question with him was would the strikeouts be a problem in the major leagues? And so far, he's he's answered that with a resounding no. uh, Through how many games has he played now? He's through 53 games in the majors. He's got a. Four eighty two slugging percentage, four oh three on base percentage, he's hitting two ninety four. He's got seven home runs, five stolen bases. Defense at third base has been pretty good. He's gonna be a cornerstone player. He's gonna hit for power and get on base at, at third base. The makeup seems to be, you know, the kind of thing that's gonna fit in the clubhouse well. And um yeah, I don't I don't I don't I think those two are a pretty clear top two for me at this point, especially with the way that Bryant is uh, you know, his numbers and everything have translated to the major league level. Um, so pretty easy number two for me there.
0: Third overall is the top overall prospect in all baseball, according to MLB.com, and that's Byron Buxton. I'm going to get my get my team shored up up the middle. Buxton, at the start of the season, I mean, we know what difficulties he had last year staying healthy and all that kind of stuff, and wasn't really blowing the cover off the ball in AA Chattanooga until the end of April, beginning of May. And then he kind of slumped in May a little bit as well, but graduated to the major leagues last week, uh, and uh, had upped his average in his OPS at AA Chattanooga to two eighty three. And 840 respectively, and the tools are just off the charts with Buckson. In 12 games so far in June, a 370 average and 879 OPS, he grades out at or near the top of the scouting scale in basically every category. He's a 70 overall in the 20 to 80 scouting scale, according to MLB.com. He does everything. Uh, despite the injuries, you still feel like the ceiling is probably as high as ever for Byron Buxton because he is 21 years old, a five-tool guy. When he's healthy, there's nobody in baseball who's as good as him. Uh, I lucked out getting the, the number one pick because I get both Correa and Buxton. This team is loaded. Yeah, I think, I, think, I think there's a tier that ends there, and then,
2: uh, yeah, maybe not. Maybe, I would argue this guy, the, I'm going to take Jock Peterson with the fourth pick, the center fielder with the Dodgers. Um, and he's, he's. this is where it starts to get interesting with this practice, because Peterson uh, ended last year as the 15th overall prospect by LB.com, and I think that pretty fairly sums up kind of where I would have put him coming into the season. Thought, obviously, he was a, a really good prospect and probably a pretty good major leaguer, but he, he'd struck out a lot in Triple AAA, um, you know, you always have a little trouble projecting power just coming out of PCL. Seems like a strong guy, but um, his first half of the season, I mean, he's, he's put himself in position to win Rookie of the Year. He's got 17 home runs in 63 games. Uh, he is striking out in almost 30% of his at bats. He's only hitting .249 as of this recording, but he's got the most uh, war, according to Fangrass, of any of those guys. His defense and center has been really good. He's a guy who I think has, has moved the needle for himself by having such a, a good pro debut. Um, I think makes himself uh, pretty clearly the fourth best guy uh, of those uh, promoted this year.
0: One thing that I heard yesterday I thought was interesting, he has the highest percentage of three true outcome at bats in baseball this season. And I think, you know, and given I think what we... that's only because Joey Gallo doesn't qualify. yet. Right. Yeah, that's probably right. <laughs> uh, you know, and given what we saw from from Jock last year, especially in the PCL, He's gonna turn himself into an all-around guy at the major league level. He's still extraordinarily young, and he has so much talent. Uh, number five overall, I'm gonna go to the mound. I'm gonna take Noah Syndergaard uh, at fifth overall. Syndergaard is one of my favorite guys to watch in the minors at the major league level. Uh, fastball can get up to 98 miles an hour. It runs in on right-handed hitters. He's got a fantastic curveball. His changeup was very good last year. Got a little bit better. Syndergaard. It's funny to think about the fact that the Mets got him in exchange for R. A. Dickey because at that time he kind of thought like, oh man. You know, R.A. Dickey turned into such a great story. The Mets were in a a very odd transitional type of period. But to get Noah Syndergaard out of that deal, one of my favorite guys to watch uh, as a competitor, what we've seen from him, uh, you know, on Twitter every once in a while, but on the mound, how fiery he can be. I love the way that Noah Syndergaard carries himself. I love his stuff. He was the Mets' top overall prospect coming into this year, number nine overall in MLB.com's rankings of the top 100 prospects. He's my guy if I'm going to start a staff out of these guys.
2: Yeah, I think uh, probably that would be my first pitcher off the board, but since you took one, I feel like I have to take one. I'll go with Carlos Rodon with the White Sox. Uh, Off to a pretty good start. He's already in the majors after being drafted just last year. He's got a 3.86 ERA in 10 appearances, 7 starts. Uh, Control and command haven't been quite there, but I have a a lot of faith based on his track record. That's going to come around. I think he's got uh, the slider is a difference maker of a pitch. I think it's already one of the best in the majors, and I think the fastball is going to be... You know, Certainly good enough to back that up, and the changeup is good enough to, to be the third pitch, um, to be a, a guy who pitches at or near the top of pretty much any rotation. Uh, don't know if he'll overtake Chris Sale as the ace in, in Chicago, but I think he's, he's certainly going to come close and uh, have a lot of faith, as much faith as you can certainly have in a pitching prospect this early in his career, that he's going to be a guy who uh, eats innings and, and pitches successfully there. So I, I think I'd, I'd take so, Syndergaard first, but I'm happy to get Rodon.
0: And Rodon's so polished. I mean, again, a, a high-level college arm, a guy who came out of NC State and really was not that far away from the major leagues when he came out uh, as a draft prospect last year. Uh, I'm going to go back off of the pitching realm, and since we have to have a rivalry between these two teams, you took Chris Bryant, so I'm going to take Joey Gallo, and Gallo is a guy who is probably going to be ticketed back for Round Rock relatively soon. The Rangers said that when he was promoted that he would get a taste of the major leagues, then he would head to AAA and continue to refine his game there, but there is not anybody in the minor leagues who brings as much excitement with one tool to the to the game every day, to the plate every day, as Joey Gallo does with his power. Is he going to stick at third base? I think that remains to be seen. I personally think that Gallo has the athleticism to stay there, is a big guy for third base, but this is an age of big athletes. I mean, everybody said Troy Tulowitzki couldn't stick at shortstop. They've made the same claim about Chris Bryant over at, for, at third base. Uh, everybody seems to want to project that those guys will not stay where they are. And yet, in a lot of cases, they do. I think Gallo can stay there. I think his defense will continue to improve. The thing that I like about Joey Gallo that we've discussed a lot on this is he has shown the ability – to cut down on his strikeout numbers when he is needed to, and to continue to grow as a hitter. We've already seen how great the power tool is. A lot of times that just stays stagnant with players. When you are a great power hitter, you continue to be a great power hitter, but guys start to chop away at what you're able to do, and you settle somewhere around the median of what your curve is as a developmental player going uh, up toward the major league level. But for Gallo, to do things like cut down his strikeout rates when he made the jump last year from Class A Hickory to the Class A Advanced Myrtle Beach and then on to A Frisco where he struggled a little bit more strikeout-wise last year and improved again this year going into the season. I really like that from Joey Gallo. Again, one of the most exciting guys in baseball, and I would nab him for third base.
2: Yeah, you, you have first-division tools and show some kind of ability to improve. I think that's that immediately makes you a can't-miss guy. Um yeah, one. Uh, so the next pick, I'm gonna go another big bat. You mentioned big athletes. I'm gonna take a, a, a large athlete, and Kyle Schwarber, the catcher slash outfielder slash DH for the Chicago Cubs, got called up yesterday. Uh, is, is on the roster today on Tuesday, but not in the starting lineup. I think that game is just getting underway now as we're recording. Uh, Schwarber is the was a first round pick last year. Um, has just obliterated minor league pitching. He hit 320 in Double A with 13 home runs. Uh, he's got what has he got like thirty home runs just in his minor league career already. Um, his his overall batting line was ninety one percent better than everybody else at AA in the Southern League um, this year. I, I think a guy who is undoubtedly going to hit. I don't know if he's going to be a catcher long term. I don't know if he's going to be any good in left field. The bat is good enough that I really just don't care. I will find. <laughs> that. Hopefully, I have an American League team where we're making a push for that that DH in every league. Um, but the bat's good enough. I don't I don't care where defensively he ends up. I think it's going to play and play to a, a really good level.
0: Uh, Schwarber is one of the most entertaining guys to watch, too, in terms of his uh, just straight offensive prowess. And, yeah, it's so good that you don't really care whether or not he sticks where he is defensively because, eh, you know, it'll be fun enough to watch him. Even if he's not playing the greatest defense wherever he ends up being, the fact that he's going to go to the plate and just rake – uh, at every single opportunity offensively kind of makes it fine. Uh, I'm going to stick in the Cubs organization with my ninth and final pick in our uh, top five each in our little fantasy draft here. And I like Jorge Soler a lot. Soler is a Cuban defector, uh, defected in 2011, signed for $6 million as part of a nine-year contract that he inked with the Cubs. And after that, sort of couldn't figure out why he was in the minor leagues. He was so young when he came over. He was only 20 when he debuted in the Arizona League in 2012. Then he moved up to P- Peoria in the Midwest League, played just 34 games combined in his first season professionally, 55 games the next year with Daytona. Last year kind of struggled again with injuries, but he made his major league debut, and that's how good this kid is. Going into last season, he had only played 91 professional games, I believe, and still made his major league debut last year tools everywhere, uh, as good as you will find across the board. And Solaire, I remember watching him in a few games in spring training this year. When the ball comes off his bat, it jumps the way it comes off a few guys' bats. I remember him hitting a line drive uh, at Glendale in a game against the White Sox that had the fence been any weaker in left field, I think he probably could have taken it down from how hard <laughs> off the bat and what a straight line it was to left field. Solaire, he speaks loudly. His tools are very, very good, very well-rounded, and I really like what he for the Cubs going forward
2: yeah I think that's that's a fine pick and, and certainly you're going to need the help keeping up with uh Bryant and Schwarber as my lineup just true that's in. true yeah uh <laughs> I was I was going to take Francisco Lindor here and I just realized neither of us took Addison Russell did yeah
0: we? that's true
2: I am I'm, I'm actually going to flip the or strip okay. team, take Addison Russell instead Lindor I think maybe would fit with my team because I, I have a team of guys who are maybe not the best defenders but gonna hit but screw it we're we're gonna keep hitting uh i'm gonna say i think right now he's a guy who can play shortstop at the major league level and hit enough to provide a lot of value there i i think i mentioned this on an earlier podcast he's a guy who if he decides he wants to put on some good weight and and go back to some of the size he had when he was in high school before he uh leading up to his draft year he, he dropped a whole bunch of weight just to prove to scouts that he could get uh you know stay stay live enough to to play shortstop um i'd be totally okay with with Packing on a few more pounds with him, letting his raw power really come out, and letting him play third base. He's got such broad shoulders and such a good projectable body, and I think he could he go in either direction. I'd be happy with either direction, but I think the the offensive ceiling is more than uh, than maybe gets advertised even with him there. So I'd, I'd I'd take him and let him just grow into whatever he's going to grow into, and be pretty pleased with that.
0: Man, that is how good this Cubs system is right now. We just drafted our top ten guys of talent that has made the jump to the major leagues this year, and four of them are Cubs. It's an exciting time to be a Cubs fan. And the Stanley Cup is going to be at Wrigley Field tonight, I just found out on the old Twitter machine. That's fun. Look at you, Chicago.
2: That's fun. It's about time Wrigley Field saw a championship trophy. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> so those are our top ten, our fa- our five favorites from each uh, for this massive year of the prospect that we have seen so far here in 2015. And uh, more on the way. I mean, Domingo Santana comes up, gets his first major league hit today. Schwarber will get his first action tonight. He'll play six games, as it appears, and then head to A Iowa. And there are a lot of guys on the doorstep. We already talked about Aaron Nola. Uh, a whole lot more guys are coming. This has been such a fun year. We picked a really good year to start a podcast, I think.
2: I think we did, too. And Corey Seager is another one, too, who's coming right. Just about with razor shines i think you uh you understand a little better after hearing from razor just kind of how highly the dodgers are are thinking of him and maybe why
0: best segue that we've had from a guest from one topic into another topic when i asked him have you ever seen somebody as mature as urius and he said yes eager boom nailed it razor (laughs) and the dramatic the dramatic pause was just just (laughs) perfect Benjamin Hill, Ben's Biz Blog, will join the show next for our weekly segment discussing all things business, all things crooked number, and all things puns with Ben Hill coming up right now. Show before the show, listeners Matt Harvey, Andrew McCutcheon, and Alex Gordon are just a few of the Major League Baseball stars who have played in the AAA All Star game. And now you can help select the players for this season's game at Warner Field in Omaha, Nebraska. Visit wwwmilbcom ballot to cast your vote today. That's wwwmilbcom ballot. Benjamin Hill joins us from, uh, I would assume, right next to Jake Seiner here on episode number 12 of the show before the show podcast. We actually actually got separate offices. Oh, okay. That's good. You're just, you're keeping each other as far apart as possible. Yeah. No more mixing with the the Ben Hill segment. Uh, Hey, Ben. Hey, Tyler. One of your biggest blog posts over the offseason was about the rivalry between the Fresno Grizzlies and the Sacramento River Cats. And minor league teams don't really have rivalries per se. I mean, it's not like, you know, it, there's no Michigan-Ohio State really in minor league baseball because players change so much and staffs change and fans are there just to kind of watch the game. They don't really get as attached to players at the major league level. But if there was a, a Yankees-Red Sox of minor league baseball in terms of the distaste good-natured or not that they have for each other it's Sacramento and Fresno and it's
1: all coming to a boil this week. Yeah, I don't know if it's coming to a boil or if it's just been boiling. Yeah, maybe it's just <laughs> boiling already. I think it's just been uh, at a steady boil for months and months and really I blame Fresno and for most of that they are definitely the aggressors in this uh, particular minor league baseball feud. Um you know the roots of it I mean they've been rivals to some extent for years and years but when the San Francisco Giants changed their affiliation from Fresno to Sacramento then things really heated up because then all of a sudden you know the Fresno lost their identity and it was they already have kind of a little brother complex with the capital city Sacramento and now all of a sudden they lost their affiliate so they went on the defensive started a very Fresno centric branding campaign and have really um, done everything they can to go against the Rivercats you know on social media they actually took out Billboards near the Sacramento River Cats stadium. The Fresno Grizzlies <laughs> bought billboards in Sacramento that say "Wackramento," because um, that's one of their signature <laughs> hashtags. Not Sacramento, Wackramento. So they, they, you know, that's how far they're going. It. They bought actual ad space in Sacramento to call the River Cats the Wackramento river cats and it's been along those lines for months and months and um, on Tuesday the Grizzlies are s- staging a promo called Grumpy Cat Wacramento where if you go to the box office and you have a social media post Instagram or Twitter or what have you and you show it to someone in the box office you show it on your phone and it's a picture of a grumpy cat with the hashtag Wacramento, you get into the ballpark for fifty percent off so that's probably a first in the history of sports that you can use a uh, a meme. That's what they call it, right? Not yeah. a mimi. I always call it a mimi when I read the word. But if you show a meme, a grumpy cat meme, at a box office, that disses the rival team, you can get in for 50% off. So once again, groundbreaking stuff in the world of minor league baseball. What uh What does Sacramento think of this uh, promotion? Uh, they you know they occasionally engage, but usually they kind of let. They're kind of like the big brother who kind of lets Fresno like work <laughs> themselves up and get all mad and and then they'll just kind of say something kind of condescending, sort of like they're there, they're there. Like uh, in the story I wrote in promo preview, I said, hey, you know, you guys uh, with the River Cats, have any response to this latest latest Fresno attack? And um, one of my contacts there just sent me a screenshot of Pacific Coast League attendance, which of course shows Sacramento on top, kind of like eh. <laughs> Whatever. So I think they sort of enjoy being above it all, or at least that's the the approach they take. And then Fresno is kind of saying, you know, we're Fresno first, we're Growlifornia, you know, Fresno's nothing that's fine with us you know we'll, we'll create something from nothing and they, they've definitely got a chip on their shoulder it's been fun to see
0: based on uh if you just go to the fresno grizzlies twitter feed right now pretty much all morning has been spent engaging with people who are just really not pleased uh rivercats fans who are just really not pleased with the
1: the whole grizzlies uh, attack line this year and it's
0: kind of funny to see people get all worked up over minor league baseball twitter feuds it's not something we see very often
1: no and it gets a lot of attention you know teams are always scrambling for attention and a few things i've seen from my perspective get more consistent attention than a, a good old twitter battle it's become a you know very much a 21st century way to have a rivalry but really fun and you can get you know, it's a perfect forum for quick insults back and forth. <laughs> it's, what, 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 really what it's there for. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's the entire point of Twitter. Uh, ben, let's uh, travel to the Carolina league. We'll go from one coast to the other. And the Frederick keys, who we talked about last week, bringing in a celebrity chef. Now they're bringing in a celebrity game show host. Uh, I did not know this, but Pat Sajak apparently lives close by sorta to Fresno or to Frederick. And uh, he's going to be making a, a stop at Harry Grove stadium, gets his own bobblehead. I hope he's spinning a wheel in it. Uh, but the host of Wheel of Fortune is going to stop by Harry Grove.
1: That's a pretty cool. You know, when you say celebrity in a minor league baseball context, it's, like, it's all various degrees of celebrity. And There's act- like a fifty percent chance, it's a cat. Yeah, yeah. There was Hero Cat in Bakersfield last year. But you know, celebrity in minor league baseball usually means a sitcom star. You you know, from twenty five years ago, you've largely forgotten about, or a wrestler who retired you know twenty five years ago, and that's fine. I love those guys. So in that continuum, Pat Sajak is a pretty good get, and I don't know his exact connection with the Keys, but he does live in Maryland, um, at least part of the year, and I think this is the second time he's come out to the ballpark. You know, he's a baseball fan. He used to have a show on MLB Radio. Um, I never heard it, but you know, he's he's a, a true baseball fan. So I think. Um, I don't think it's a matter of the Keys spending a ton of money to get him as much as him enjoying baseball enough to, to come out and do this and honored with his own bobblehead and throwing out the first pitch, signing autographs, all that stuff. But, you know, I would love to meet Pat Sajak. He's the kind of celebrity, you don't think of him as huge and A-list, but, you know, you grow up with that guy um, just as a, just by having a television, basically. So I think that's a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool minor league celebrity appearance for sure. We've talked on the
2: show before. Tyler used to work for the Myrtle Beach Pelicans, and it seems like, depending on how you want to look at it, you either got out just in time or got out (laughs) a little bit too soon, maybe for your own health. Uh, Myrtle Beach had a big hit last year with their prostate cancer awareness night. And, Ben, I wonder if you can just kind of recount what they did last year and what they're doing this year to up the game on uh, on Father's Day.
1: Well, uh, Myrtle Beach Pelicans president, Andy Milovich, um, he started a industry trend last year when he received an in-game prostate exam uh, during the seventh inning stretch as he sang "Take Me Out to the Ball Game," and you know that got national attention, kind of went viral, uh, a crazy stunt. And you know, in an ice bucket challenge sort of way, he passed it on that challenge on to another executive. So it's been done six, eight, ten times throughout the industry, and hopefully more guys will continue to do that. As goofy as it is, it does a- raise awareness for hey. know get your prostate checked if these general managers can do it more or less in public in a broadcast booth or in a press box during a game while they sing how hard can it be and this week the pelicans up the ante by giving away a father's day bobble finger you know the finger being i guess how you would uh administer receive the prostate exam and it's a father's day bobble finger the finger bobbles and it has a little uh blue ribbon tied around it, kind of as a memory string or whatever you call that, uh, as a reminder hey, get your uh, prostate checked. And the final thing about it is that it's uh, sponsored by an emergency plumbing company called Roto, or Rescue Rooter. So there's a Bobble <laughs> Finger, Father's Day Prostate Cancer Awareness Bobble Finger, sponsored by Rescue Rooter. <laughs> if that's not minor league baseball, I just do not know what is.
0: Some more good things coming up this week. Uh, the Akron RubberDucks Ducks will se- celebrate 25 years of Nickelodeon. The Altoona Curve are giving away Josh Harrison Garden Gnomes. Uh, Star Wars Night, of course, all over the place, uh, which is coming up, I think, seven different times this week, just over back-to-back nights on the 19th and 20th. Uh, at what point, Ben, do you think are we going to see a shift from Star Wars Night to Jurassic Park Night?
1: I don't know if that will ever really happen. Yeah. You know, people you hear a lot of chatter like, uh, Star Wars night's so boring, but that's people on the internet who just follow enough sports media personalities that they see these jerseys all the time. True. As long as a Star Wars night keeps it's just a once a year occasion that sells out, you know, your particular ballpark, I don't think it's gonna get old. It's you know, it's it's a franchise that's almost forty years old and, and still going strong. So I think the Back to the Futures, the Jurassic Parks, the Ghostbusters, they'll kind of rise and fall along with, you know, sequels released or anniversary milestones. But it's very hard to find something that has the uh, the enduring appeal of Star Wars. So I don't I don't see that really being replaced as much as just occasionally supplemented by other franchises. Yeah,
2: I'm trying to think of what, what separates Star Wars and Back to Back to Futures and Star Wars seem like the big two, especially Star Wars that always get featured by these T te- is it just that they have so many different costumes to choose from and things to I mean, Star Wars is a big deal, but Back to the Future is a big deal. But we have other trilogies and music movies that seem like they're just as big. I don't know what it is about those. I don't. I don't know if you have thoughts on that, Ben. But we can just move on to your crooked number too.
1: No, uh, well, we can talk about theme jerseys for for hours and hours. If we <laughs> these uh, I, I will say, I think a lot of it is anniversaries. So, uh, Goonies to a small extent, and Back to the Future to a larger one is because it's the 30th anniversary, and uh, and then it's new releases. Jurassic Park is a new one, so they're doing that. So there's a lot of ebb and flow like that, but in terms of ones that are just, we haven't had a I Godfather night. I haven't heard of, of that. Yeah, but yeah. We're to family friendly, you know. I, I kind of like the, 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 the Who who loves family more
2: than uh, more than <laughs> <mostly> <laughs> Godfather? It's, it's all right? about family That's
1: there. Totally, it's only about the uh, affordable, family friendly entertainment. Come to Godfather <laughs> night, get a horse bobblehead.
0: <laughs> only the horse head, though.
1: No, exactly.
0: So it couldn't I guess the whole thing couldn't
1: bobble. No, but, yeah, you're just being a naysayer. It, it bubbles once and then the head just falls off.
0: <laughs> the naysayer pun.
1: Uh, yeah, all right. Uh, what do we got? Do we have a crooked number for this week? I got a, a quick crooked number for Right? Uh, crooked number, you know, weird on-field stuff that occurs. Um, as you guys know, you know, Pat Murphy was just called up to manage the Padres for at least the remainder of the season. And in his last game with the Chihuahuas, it was a 12-inning victory for the Chihuahuas, and Mike McCoy, an infielder, got the win. So one, I just think that's a great way to end maybe forever your minor league managerial <laughs> career by having an infielder get the win. And also, I think I've talked with you guys before. We have
0: talked about this before.
1: Mike McCoy, a member of... who I wrote it down. He is a veteran minor leaguer and has pitched in the, or played in the majors a little bit. But he first pitched... You know, in a moonlighting position player mode for Peoria in 2004, Palm Beach in 2005, Colorado Springs in 2009, the Toronto Blue Jays, a major league pitching debut in 2011, the Buffalo Bisons in 2013, and now this is his second pitching appearance with appearance with the Chihuahuas and his first win. So now, uh, literally a decade after he first, or 11 years after he first took the mound as a pitcher, he got his first win and he did it during... <laughs> Pat Murphy's last game, so there you go.
0: We have discussed that before because I remember this conversation coming up earlier this year when he initially pitched for El Paso, and it's, you know, it's like a good lesson for life. Make yourself indispensable. Do everything you possibly can, and then you'll hang – you know, I mean, Mike McCoy is 34. It's not like he's an old guy, but he's he's made himself very diverse in his career field.
1: It's pretty yeah,
2: impressive. Exactly. It was all <laughs> worth it for one AAA victory. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it.
1: finally. Yeah. By people, the way – People knock these veterans, but I think there's something to be said for just hanging in there and, doing, and getting it done any way possible.
0: Over the course of his pitching career, by the way, according to baseball reference in the minor leagues, uh, Mike McCoy is now 1-1 and with a 1.86 ERA. So it's not like they're throwing him out there and he's embarrassing himself. No, not at all. He's
1: the the real
0: McCoy. (laughs) Nailed it. Finally, you got naysayers in. We were talking about a horse bobblehead and the real McCoy. And our pun quota is filled. For this week. Benjamin Hill from Ben's Biz Blog. You can follow Ben on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz. You can check out the blog as well, bensbiz.mlblogs.com. And uh, Ben, you're between trips right now, but you're gearing up for your next so- your minor league sojourn, correct?
1: Right. A week from tomorrow, I'll uh, hit the road and drive to Richmond, and that'll start a uh, Virginia-centric trip. Uh, almost all teams in Virginia, and then ending in West Virginia with the west virginia black bears who of course more specifically are playing in morgantown so that's coming up uh yeah a week from tomorrow i'll be hitting the road looking forward to it formerly the jamestown
0: jammers and ben will give you an inside peek as to how things are going for the first season of the black bears ben thanks as always man we'll talk to you next week thank you We are a week away, a week plus away from Benjamin Hill's next trip. And as we talked about after that segment ended, I write the next two promo previews. So, ugh. Ben Hill, yeah, those no, are the uh, biggest shoes to fill. No pressure. Oh,
2: man. Just counting on you to carry the, uh, the weight of Benjamin Hill's
0: workload. I'm already terrified. And I read the prospect roundup on Friday, and that's normally a Jake Signer special. And, uh, oh, man. You're all going to be – let's just put it this way. You're all going to be very disappointed in me by two weeks from now because I am not those oh, yeah, guys. We have so much faith in you, Tyler. <laughs>
2: We're definitely not going to be reading over the preview on secretly on Friday night. Okay? <laughs> Ben's definitely not going to give the promo preview a second look, just, even though he doesn't usually do that. None of that's going to totally happen. Totally trust you none of that's gonna happen
0: wrapping up episode number 12 of milb.com is the show before the show you can rate review and subscribe to us on itunes and check us out on the old twitter machine as well at jake underscore signer i'm at tyler mon minor league baseball is at milb and we got uh, some other cool stuff on the site right now before that just really quickly we wanted to note uh ben did mention in that last segment that the san diego padres have announced that triple a el paso manager pat murphy will serve as interim manager for the remainder of this season i think think that's really cool there was some discussion a few weeks ago the milwaukee brewers wanted permission to interview pat murphy and add him to their major league staff the padres did not grant that permission now maybe we understand why uh pat murphy by all accounts one of the really really good guys in minor league baseball the few times i've talked to him he's been outstanding so really exciting news for pat murphy and for the padres organization congratulations to him and uh speaking of triple a we also have, uh, in a world that is much-discussing uh, All-Star game balloting, you don't have to just vote for the Major League All-Stars Royals fans. You can vote for AAA <laughs> All-Stars as well. International League, Pacific Coast League will square off in Omaha at Warner Park on July 15th. You can go on to MILB.com slash ballot right now and vote for your favorites to represent your team in the AAA All-Star game.
2: Yeah, you can get all the storm chasers in there. We can exactly. Make a
0: yeah. hometown crowd. They might as well be voting for storm chasers. It's in Omaha. Yeah,
2: yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Yeah, at least we got that coming up this week. We got uh, the short season leagues are starting this week uh, on Thursday, and if you're curious who's going to be in the short season leagues, we actually have a draft tracker on the website. If you go to the milb.com homepage and scroll down a little bit, you find our 2015 MLB draft pick tracker, where we are keeping track of uh, who signs where and what rosters they're assigned to. So, for instance, we can already tell you that. Texas's Dylan Tate has been assigned to short season Spokane. Uh, I think that's the only one we have of the elite first round. Kevin Newman has been assigned to uh, West Virginia, so he'll be there waiting for Ben in Morgantown. So if you're curious about where your team's first couple picks are going, you can uh, head over to that draft tracker and, and figure it out from there.
0: It's all there at MILB.com, and again, you can always check out the show there as well. You can listen to the show before the show on MILB.com, or you can find us on iTunes. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Give us a subscription. You can send your podcast questions if you are so inclined to podcast at MILB.com, and uh, until next week, another fun one this week. I'm sure by next week, the rest of the top 100 will have been promoted to the big leagues, and Jake and I won't have anything to talk about at this rate.
2: Yeah, I can just sit in silence for half an <laughs> hour. I, say, I think people would like that better than hearing hearing my voice. For <laughs> a few
0: minutes, so. Get out of here, Jake! Best part of the show before the show is Jake Seiner. Everybody knows that. Uh You're the one. Very kind of you to say. If we were a boy band, you would be the Justin Timberlake. I would. I, be the-
2: I, would, I would. I would be the. Uh, which one was the Backstreet Boy who never actually sang? <laughs>
0: <laughs> was there one of those? How did I, I not say,
2: know. Uh, 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 Kevin was it? Kevin? I think it was Kevin. Okay. It was was there a Kevin? I can't. God, 90s me would be so mad. <laughs> My uh my eighth birthday present was tickets to, to a Backstreet Boys concert and it's the best present <laughs> I've ever
0: gotten. Oh man. And this boy band, the four of us, me, you, Ben, and Sam, I would be the Joey Fatone. Like every once in a while mildly entertaining, mostly annoying, I think. <laughs> That's how everybody feels. That's, That's a weird way to end feels. the show. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys next week. We'll see who has joined uh, the Major League ranks by next week, and maybe we will do an entire redraft of our top ten, depending on how this year of the prospect continues to go. But check out games all week long on Mild tv at MILB.com. And uh, until episode number 13, enjoy watching some minor league baseball. We'll talk to you next week.